0: If you would take your Bibles, we'll read together Psalm 130. Psalm 130, headed a song of ascents. Only a short psalm, but a very full and wonderful one. Psalm 130. Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you, that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I do hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is abundant redemption, and he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. We will say, only a short psalm, but I trust it will be a blessing to us as we think about it shortly. Now, uh, this evening, I'd ask you to turn with me to that short psalm that we read together, Psalm 130. We've read it together. I won't read it again. But I want to just draw, with God's help, some encouragement, le- encouraging lessons uh, from Uh, these eight verses. Now Psalm 130 is one of those psalms known as the Pilgrim Psalms, the Songs of Ascents. It lies there, coming towards the end of that series of Psalms, 120 to 134. They were traditionally sung by pilgrims, as they journeyed from wherever they lived throughout the land of Israel to Jerusalem for the three great feasts that the Lord commanded his people to observe year by year in Jerusalem, the Feast of Passover. And as I name these three feasts, just remind yourself of what they, what they meant the Feast of Passover, that was the first. Well, that feast looked back to the deliverance that God had wrought for his people many centuries earlier. Past deliverance. They were gathering to thank the Lord for their past deliverances. Then there was Pentecost, or the Feast of Weeks. And that feast came at the end basically, of harvest. And it was, as they went up to that feast, they weren't looking back so much as looking at the present. They had just gathered in the harvest, God's provision for them. And that feast, they all gathered together to praise and thank God for his Constant and consistent provision for all their needs. Something past, something present. And the third feast was the Feast of Tabernacles. And that commemorated their wilderness journey towards what we know as the land of Israel, towards the Promised Land. The Promised Land, this was a feast that was pointing them forward forward to a future fulfilment. They could look back to a deliverance. They could look at what God was doing. And they could look forward to what God would do. And in that sense, this lovely group of psalms are very relevant for us today. When you read them, if you read each psalm, with that sort of framework in your mind, you will be greatly encouraged if you're a Christian today because we are pilgrims, just as they were pilgrims, just indeed as our Lord was a pilgrim and he would go to celebrate those feasts. (coughs) We are pilgrims today. We are travelling not to Jerusalem, but to the new Jerusalem, aren't we? And as Christians we can look back to a time of deliverance, we can look at what the Lord is doing, and we can look ahead to what he will do. So these pilgrims were travelling in little groups. Family groups, village groups, groups from towns, but they were going together. But the journey was also a very personal one. They went in groups together. We are here together as a group. But they were also journeying personally. And each one of us, we are here worshipping together. But there is a sense in which we are here on our own. We are here personally, aren't we? And so this psalm, as I think about it, is a very personal psalm. Some of the psalms are in the plural, but this one, out of the depths, I cried to to you. It's a personal psalm. I cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my supplications. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. In his word, I hope. It's very personal, this psalm. The last couple of verses are not quite so personal. They're collective, but we'll come to that in a moment. But generally, it's personal. It expresses a personal confidence that the Lord is near. The Lord is near... His traveling pilgrims indeed is near to his traveling pilgrim. He is near to us as a body of his people, but he is near to me, as one of the, part of that body. He is near to you, singular, as part of that body. It's a song, a psalm, between me and my Lord. And it's a song that rejoices in the presence of the Lord. And I've put a heading over this psalm. The Christian's Constant Companion. The Christian's Constant Companion. Let's just think about four things that arise out of these eight verses. And if you notice, in my Bible, there paragraph, there's Four sets of two verses. And each of those couplets seems to bring a message to us. The Lord is near. He is near to hear the pilgrim's cry. That's so clear in verses one and two. Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive. To the voice of my supplications. The psalmist looks back. I was in the depths. But you were near. I cried. And you heard me. You you were near to hear my cry. And this is noticeable. Notice how the pilgrim looks back to a past deliverance. Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. That's not surprising, if he's travelling to go up to the Passover. He's looking back to how his people, his people cried at the time of their distress in Egypt. And God actually said, didn't he, in effect, when he met with Moses, On the mountain in the burning fiery bush. What did God say? I have heard the cries of my people. He had heard their cries in their slavery and bondage in Egypt. And this pilgrim is looking back over his life and he's saying, I was in trouble. And the great trouble for the pilgrim is not so much his environment, but his sin. He cried out. And the Lord heard and delivered. And now he's in a particularly dangerous part of his journey, perhaps. And he looks, out of the depths I did cry, Lord, hear my voice. It's turned to the present tense. I cried, now, Lord, hear my voice again. This is true not only for the nation, but for every Christian pilgrim. I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. That's where I was. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry. From the waters lifted me. Now safe am I. He heard my cry. I cried unto you. Now Lord, I'm facing new challenges. I'm crying again. He is still with his pilgrim. Didn't he say, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. I know I'm quoting there from Hebrews 13. But, didn't he say to Joshua and when he was facing the conquest? The deliverance had come. The deliverance had been brought. But now he's face, facing conquest. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you, uh, Joshua. And Joshua proved it. And he would look back. Moses would look back. And they would look at the present, and say, He's still here as I cry unto him. So, if that is so, that same deliverer is with you and with me tonight in the present challenge. Whatever that challenge might be. I don't know what challenges you in your Christian walk. I know what challenges me somewhat. But that's for me. What am I going to do? What are you going to do? Lord, you are near. You said you are with me. You're near to hear me. Lord, I cry unto you. Deal with this situation for me. Lord, hear my voice now. Be attentive to the voice of my supplication. We may not be travelling to a literal Jerusalem but brother and sister in Christ we're travelling to the new Jerusalem we're travellers just like they were the one who delivered them has delivered us the one who would go on to consistently hear their cry and deliver them in the future is with us to hear our consistent cry in fact the everlasting word of our of the of scripture, promises it to us. Call upon me in the day of trouble. Let your ears be, I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. This is the way to glorify God. This is the way to glory itself through the pilgrim pathway, constantly crying unto the Lord for his help and his assistance, his guidance, his strength. Everything we need, all I have needed, the Lord has provided thus far, and He is near to do the same today and tomorrow, and however many tomorrows there are. We have good grounds to follow the example of the Old Testament pilgrim in this psalm. We can do so with confidence. We can do so with expectancy. Because he will answer us. We began our service tonight. With that lovely hymn. A sovereign protector I have. Unseen. But then what? Yet forever at hand. The pilgrims then. Their protector was unseen, but he was near to protect them. Near to help them in that situation. Near to them when they cried unto him. He's unchangeably faithful to save. He's almighty still to rule and command in the situation. And that hymn goes on, doesn't it? I muse on the years that are past. Wherein my defence thou hast proved. And then comes the confidence. As he has been, so he forever will be. Nor wilt thou relinquish at last. Even right through and in the final battle. He will not relinquish a sinner. So signally loved that he rescued them. And put them on the journey. He will bring them home safe and sound to their destination. The Lord is near to hear. But now, if we look at verses 3 and 4, the Lord is near to forgive. He's near to forgive the pilgrims' iniquities. Let's just read verses 3 and 4. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Well, the answer's obvious, no one. But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. What wonderful verses these are. The pilgrim is ever conscious of his iniquities. This pilgrim was, yes, he was delivered from Egypt. He's been through much. But now he finds a different type of bondage hovering around him, hovering near him. His iniquities. Oh, what wonderful verse. The pilgrim is ever conscious of his iniquities. That's a reference to our inbuilt perversity. Which so easily leads us astray from the right path. That's the basic sense of iniquity. Perversity that leads us astray. And he observes, first of all, if you, Lord, should mark my perversity, my backsliding, my my straying from the right path, if you should mark it, Lord, who should stand, who should come safely to the end of the journey? Yet in his acknowledgement of his wandering tendency, he can again with confidence look to the Lord. But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. And the sense here, in the context of mark and iniquities and perverse straying, there is forgiveness, there is forgiveness. Power with you, Lord, to bring me back to the right path when I stray. And we all need that, don't we? Not just those pilgrims. But we need it. We go astray. It's just built into us to wander off the right path. I just love the pilgrim's progress. And when you read it, how dear pilgrim how he went astray, and where did it get him? It got him into Castle Despair, uh, Giant Despair's castle. But he, the Lord heard their supplications. He heard their cry, Lord, restore me, bring me back, forgive my freshly contracted departures. And the Lord did and he will forgive us. <clears throat> this doesn't bring us the fear of terror. The forgiveness with God. It doesn't bring us to that terrified feeling and sense. It's all over now. No. It brings with it the fear of the Lord. That which is referred to in Proverbs and elsewhere. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Here is the pilgrim. He's gone astray. Oh, Lord, you can bring me back. It's it's a far different thing to the sense of fear of terror. The Lord will bring me back. Lord, he cries out to him. he understands God in a new and more intimate way as a pilgrim. When they left Egypt, it was deliverance, wholesale. Now this is deliverance in the particular. And our God is near us to forgive and to restore us. Christian pilgrims Never take license to stray from the right path. But they have a confident hope that the Lord who forgives their straying will restore them. Didn't David know something of that? You know the 23rd Psalm. He restores my soul. And it's lovely when you read that That particular verse, it's Psalm 23, verse 3. And just look at it carefully. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That's much the sentiment of this couplet of verses here. He restores my soul. When I've wandered, he leads me back into the paths of righteousness. It's a tender action. It's not a violent action. He restores my soul when I start wandering. He's there beside me and when I cry to him, he restores me and leads me back into the paths of righteousness and truth. Perhaps, just perhaps, you are tempted sometimes to give up prayer. The journey seems so hard. It seems so long. Such little progress is being made. Dark clouds fill your sky. You feel like Jeremiah. Even when I cry and shout, he shuts out my prayer. But let's persevere on. Because what does the psalmist say now? The Lord is near to hear, he's near to restore or to forgive. And the Lord is near to respond to the pilgrim's prayers. Verses 5 and 6. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I do hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. If you feel your cries are not being answered, move on with the pilgrim. The Lord is waiting to respond and he is near to respond even now. The pilgrim waited with confident patience. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, but doesn't wait in hopelessness, but waits in hope. In his word, I hope. The word wait here is an interesting word. It has the sense of expectancy. And when combined with the word hope, it becomes a very powerful sentence. I wait for the Lord. I'm standing at the bus stop. I'm waiting for the bus to come. Perhaps that's not a very good analogy because it doesn't always come. (laughs) But you're waiting. You're waiting at the bus stop and you look at the little indicator. Five minutes. Four minutes. And the minutes count down. And there it is coming around the corner. That's the sense in which I'm using it. Here is a sense of expectancy. I wait for the Lord. I cried to him before; he heard my voice. I, I sought his forgiveness. I sought his restoration, and he gave it to me. And I'll wait on him now. I'll wait on him still. Because his word is flashing up. I'm near. I'm near. I'm closer. I'm closer. My soul waits for the Lord, and I'm more eager than those who were waiting for the morning to dawn. Yes, and he repeats it, more than those who watch for the morning. There's an intensity there, isn't there? I'm not just waiting for the Lord to do something. I'm waiting and watching. I'm waiting and hoping. Not with some nebulous hope, but with an intense hope those who are watching for the morning, waiting for the dawn to come. And we know, don't we, the Lord has said, day and night will not cease while this earth spins on its axis. They will always be there. And so the darkest night, the longest night, there's always a morning. Oh, it's a dark, dreary morning this morning. But it's dawn, isn't it? The light is shining, beginning to... And it shines more and more until the perfect day, until noon. This is the sense with which the pilgrim here is waiting. There's a good ground in his word, do I hope. God's delays are not denials. That's been well said. And been a great strength and comfort to me on many an occasion. God's delays are not denials. The pilgrim waits in faith. He's trusting in God's word and promise that as sure as night follows day, day follows night. And that's the cycle of life, the cycle of the Christian life. We're not always on the mountaintop, sometimes we're in the valleys. But for every valley there's two mountains and for every mountain there's two valleys. It's from one to the other. It's a pilgrimage. We're not coasting through life. We trust in God's word and God's promise. We are on pilgrimage. And what has God done? Can we not sing, Brought safely by his hand thus far? You've been brought safely thus far. Why should we now give place to fear? How can we want if he provides? Or lose our way with him as our guide? Did ever trouble yet befall, And he refused to hear your call? He didn't hear it. He heard it as soon as it was cried, uttered. But he didn't answer it immediately. How often? But his delays are not denials. Did ever trouble yet befall, And he refused to hear your call? Has he not his promise passed? And a promise with God is a covenant promise. That you shall overcome at last. And then that moment comes. And the light begins to dawn. He who has helped me hitherto will help me. All the journey through. He'll give me daily cause. Oh, just a minute. Daily cause. Day follows night follows day. will give me daily cause in this cycle of pilgrimage I will have constant cause to praise to raise new Ebenezers to his praise stones of remembrance so there's this expectancy the Lord is near to hear he's near uh, to uh, enable us and he's here to respond to us We are pilgrims through life. But not to an earthly city. To the heavenly, the ultimate city of God. The Lord who delivered us, the Lord who is providing for us, will one day receive us. That was what they were going to remember. And we have a confident hope in his word. And finally, the Lord is near To redeem the pilgrim. Near to redeem the pilgrim. Verses 7 and 8. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is abundant redemption. And he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. This is the very essence of the pilgrim's hope, isn't it? The ground of the pilgrim's hope is where... In the Lord. O oh, Israel, he now, he's, the light day has come for this pilgrim. And he's now sharing with his fellow pilgrims. He couldn't see them, it was dark. And he couldn't see the Lord, it was dark. But now the Lord has shown him that he's near. And he begins to see his fellow pilgrims. And he says, "Oh, all of us, let us hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is mercy. And with him is abundant redemption. And he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Oh friend, here's our hope. Our united hope. As well as our personal hope. Our hope is in his divine character. He is the Lord. Notice the capital letters. He is Jehovah. With Jehovah, the covenant making, the covenant keeping, the covenant fulfilling. God. There is mercy. This is the one who is with us. With them. He was with them through the covenant made with Abraham. What a wonderful covenant that was. The God who revealed himself to Moses on the mountain. And revealed himself as the Lord. The Lord God merciful and gracious. Long-suffering. The Lord who keeps mercy for thousands. Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. By no means clearing the guilty, yes. But he is the God who keeps mercy and forgiveness. And shows mercy and shows forgiveness. The pilgrims and their journey. That was a constant cycle with them. And this God is our God. They were going to celebrate his redeeming work from Egypt. But my friend, the pilgrim's realisation is that his hope is sure and certain. It's wonderful. We are not relying on that old covenant. We are resting on the new covenant. How wonderful that is. How precious. And Hebrews 8 tells us, gives us a summary of that new covenant. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. I will be their God. They shall be my people. All shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. I will be merciful to their unrighteous and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. Do you see the parallels? It's the same God. The same God of grace and mercy. The same God who redeemed his ancient people through the, through the Passover and the Passover lamb pointing forward to the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Gentiles included now. These are profound things, but they are precious, aren't they? And the hope that these covenant promises bring to us is a hope that is sure and certain. He shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Notice the alls, all there. He shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. One of those divine shells and wills. It makes me think of the great song that we shall sing one day. If we are pilgrims today, we're going to come to the end of the journey sooner or later. And then what rejoicing there will be. In Revelation 5 we have that great song. That new song that will be sung in the glory. And what's at its heart? Let me read it. And note what's at its heart. Revelation 5, nine. You are worthy to take the scroll, to open its seals, for you were slain, and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. That's the song that those who he has redeemed, brought out of slavery, watched over and been close to in the journey, protected them, brought them back when they strayed, healed their subtle diseases, and has brought them now into the promised presence that he, he set before them. They are there and they sing that song. And yet the crescendo always rises in this passage. It's a most wonderful passage. Then I looked, says John, and I heard the voice of the many angels. The spiritual realm joins in And what do they sing? The living creatures, the elders. 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands and thousands of them. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Back to redemption again. Worthy is the Lamb who by shedding his blood set his people free. He is worthy to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength, and honour, and glory, and blessing. There are the pilgrims, and newly arrived, singing their song, and complementing it is the song of the angelic host. And then every creature which is in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and such as are in the sea, and all that are in them, listen to them. What are they singing? Blessing, and honour, and glory, and power, Be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. The Lamb, the Redeemer. The one who has redeemed these people from every tribe, tongue, people and nation. And the angels rejoice over it. They rejoice in it. They rejoice over it. And every creature joins and rejoices together. And the four living creatures, it all breaks out with a heartfelt Amen. And they all fall down and worship Him who lives forever and ever. Who is He? He is the Redeemer of His people, the one who has watched over them, and provided for them, and kept them, and been with them, and Christian. He's with you tonight. He's with me tonight. And he will be with me tomorrow. And in all my tomorrows. As he's been with me in all my yesterdays. And one day. It will be one eternal today. There's no night there. There's no need of the sun there. Because there's no night. There's no night there. It will be one eternal perfection of glory brothers and sisters in Christ fellow pilgrims this is our future we are on the way let us therefore encourage each other press on the pilgrim way with joyful anticipation the ultimate not a celebratory feast in Jerusalem But a celebratory feast in the glory is what awaits us. And there's no doubt about it. Our future is bright and that future is certain because of a word in our psalm. He shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. All of them. Before I was a Christian, since I've been a Christian, and tomorrow's too. Not that I take license to sin. But he shall redeem us, pilgrim brother and sister, from all our iniquities. And we'll join the everlasting throng, and sing the everlasting song, and crown him Lord of all.